Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, uh, anybody want a job? There's a, a new job opening today called Chief of Staff to the President of the United States. Anybody want a job? Looks like nobody wants that job. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Here we go. It's a Monday. Wow, can you believe it? Monday, December 10. Uh, great to see you today. Happy, happy, happy Monday. Uh, and hope that weekend was a good one, full of uh, probably uh, lots of holiday parties, uh, hopefully lots of uh, fun and football uh, with your friends. And uh, now we got another busy, busy week ahead of us uh, with a lot going on this week. Boy, the uh, Mueller operation and the U.S. Attorney's operation seems to be in high gear. Last week, we saw the filings on Michael Flynn, filings on Paul Manafort, uh, the U.S. Attorney's report and recommendations as to what should happen to Michael Cohen, uh, James Comey's testimony in front of uh, the Congressional Committee on Friday. They released a transcript. The testimony was behind closed doors. And this week on Wednesday, we're going to find out how much time Michael, if any, Michael Cohen will be spending in federal prison. The U.S. attorney says he only cooperated partly, part way. He wasn't a fully cooperating witness, and therefore uh, they say thanks for your help, but we still think Michael Cohen should get four years behind bars. So all of that coming up this week, and of course Donald Trump says everything is just peachy, cream, happy, uh, just like a big banana split, he's very happy with it all and enjoying it all. He lives in such a bubble. He doesn't know what's going on. All of that to talk about, and we will get into it with all of you, with your comments coming on Twitter, at BP Show. Your comments on Twitter, again, at BP Show. We'll dive right in, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news here on a Monday. Bill, did you get some rest this weekend? Uh, no. Did you sleep, did you sleep in at all? 
Uh, no. Okay, well, that actually might be a good thing. That no, it's might not be a good thing. thing. Well, um, I'll tell you, you why. Know, that's what weekends are for, and I didn't get to do it this weekend. Well, that's what you used to think. Not anymore. New study in the Advances of Nutrition Journal says that sleeping in might actually be bad for your health. Researchers huh. found that people who stay up late and then sleep in the next day have an increased risk of heart disease and type 2 diabetes when compared to people who just get up early. I report, you decide. Yeah, Part I'm, of the thing that they point I'm to... have already decided. You've already decided. Part of the thing they BS. point to is that when people stay up late, they are more likely to have unhealthy eating habits like eating fast food, drinking alcohol, eating sugar, and then, of course, when you sleep in... You miss breakfast, which, as you know, Bill, is the most important meal of the day. So That's what my mother used to tell me. I didn't believe her then. I don't believe her now. <laughs> so think about that. Know, Next I... time you're out late, just get up early. Get up early. Be a morning person, right? All right. Thank you. <laughs> no thanks. Okay. You got it. So we might be doing some major damage to our children by exposing them to screens way too early. The National Institute of Health released a study where they followed more than 11,000, this is a pretty big sample size, 11,000 9 to 10-year-old kids for a decade to see how the brain is impacted by screen time. And the first bits of data suggest that all of the different tech screens, whether it's laptops or iPhones or iPads or whatever, have actually changed young people's brains, huh. perhaps not for the better. Uh, daily screen usage of more than seven hours showed there is a premature thinning of the brain cortex, which helps kids process information from the physical world. So if we're exposing them to too many screens, they have a hard time understanding what's real and what's on the screen in front of them. Do you know what I've started getting on my iPhone suddenly? That once a week I get a thing telling me how much screen time yeah, I spent yeah, the yeah, week yeah, before. Yeah. I didn't ask her that. Where is that coming Apple from? Apple just made you, it's part of an update. I got it too. Well, what's it mean? Well, it tells you how much you use your phone. <laughs> Makes you feel bad about yourself. This is the Bill Press Show. At least 14. 14 members of the Trump team were in contact with Russians, Russian officials, during the campaign and during the transition. Another great big fat lie of Donald Trump exposed, and we see how extensive the Russian contacts really were. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Hello, hello. Great to see you today. It's a Monday, December 10, rolling right along here with the Bill Press Show, joining you nationwide, in fact, all around the globe, with the news of the day, our analysis of the news of the day, uh, the insights from our guests, and your comments all wrap them up, and that's the uh, Bill Press Show here. Great to be with you. Thank you so much for making us, uh, to starting your day with us today here this Monday, December 10, as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the update on the news of the day. Joining you online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. I uh, can't tell you how important it is to check out our podcast as well. Podcasts are the big thing uh, these days. I actually, a uh, Friday afternoon, ran into uh, none other than Sean Spicer, uh, who is showing up at uh, Sirius XM 
to tape a segment of his podcast. Okay, he's got his podcast, but we've got our podcast with all of you, and we've had it up a long time. Uh, check it out if you haven't already done so, and sign up for the podcast at thebillpressshow.com or iHeartRadio, wherever you uh, wherever you uh, go for your uh, podcast, whatever podcast app, if you will, that you use. Uh, we're on the radio, of course, of course, uh, statewide in Indiana on uh, Indiana Talks and out in Chicago and the greater Chicago area. Hello, hello, WCPT nationwide, also on television, on Free Speech TV, all part of the DirecTV network. So thanks so much for joining us. Great lineup of guests today, Sabrina Rodriguez, I'm sorry, uh, covers trade issues, economic issues for Politico. Uh, will be in studio with us, as well as John Bennett, who covers the White House for Roll Call, and Andrew Prokop, who is senior political reporter for Vox, uh, all coming up here a little bit later in the, in the program. Hey, we start out with the big news on Friday, where the remember you know it's it is hard to keep up with it because we got the Robert Mueller investigation, which as we learn more every day, and everybody I think understands this except Donald Trump, is a very serious criminal investigation of the president of the United States for possible collusion and possible obstruction of justice. And we might also throw in possible witness tampering. And that thing is rolling right along. In the meantime, there's a U.S. attorney's investigation in New York into Michael Cohen and Andrew Weisselberg and other top members, particularly Michael Cohen, especially him, other top members of the Trump team looking into other issues, not collusion and obstruction of justice, but into possible criminal violations, breaking the law, financial dealings uh, related to the Trump empire, not the Trump campaign. So the two are based, they're both going on at the same time. And there is some overlap because Michael Cohen is part of both investigations and he is cooperating or has been cooperating at least partly. Unlike Michael Flynn, Michael Cohen didn't sign a thing saying, I'm yours, I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Uh, Michael Cohen signed just sort of a partial plea saying that he would cooperate on certain matters where he wanted to, but stay away from other matters. As a result of this, now getting to what happened on Friday, the U.S. attorney, because Michael Cohen's sentencing hearing is this Wednesday, and they had to say, okay, here's what we think, here's how much time Michael Cohen should get. Remember, this all relates again, about 10 days ago, Paul Mueller, Robert Mueller rather, said that because Michael Flynn has cooperated 100%, everything they wanted he was willing to talk about, that they recommended zero prison time for Michael Flynn. Robert Mueller did. The U.S. attorney on Friday had its chance to say, here's what we think about Michael Cohen's cooperation. And they said, I, they used, didn't use this word, I will, that it was half-ass. Again, he talked about a little bit, wouldn't talk about everything. So therefore they said that Michael Cohen should get four years. Throw the book at him. Four years, even as a partial cooperator, four years in federal prison. That was bad enough. But where they really made news on Friday was they said that Michael Cohen had 
he should get this time because he had broken the law. He had broken the law by arranging uh, two illegal payments, two illegal campaign, what amounted to two illegal con- campaign contributions, one to Stormy Daniels, $130,000, and helping arrange another one through the National Enquirer with Karen McDougal, $150,000, so they would, as we know, would not talk about their affair with Donald Trump because that might hurt his presidential chances. He's a candidate for president of the United States at the time. Remember, this is on top of Michael Cohen already telling us that he and Donald Trump were both lying to the American people about the contacts he had with uh, the Russian Ru- Kremlin officials, Russian officials, Putin's deputies, Pu- Putin's representatives, if you will, over building this new hotel in Moscow. So there's that. This is this these two cam- these two payments to these two women, which uh, were there were done to help Donald Trump's campaign, and the U.S. Attorney said, "Here is the money shot." The U.S. Attorney said that Donald Trump himself ordered, directed, and oversaw the payment to these women. In other words, over they said the President of the United States was involved in committing two crimes because these were illegal campaign contributions. They were not reported to the Federal Elections Commission as required by law, and they were done ex- covered up explicitly for the purpose of helping candidate Donald Trump. Um, Charles Blow in the New York Times this morning sums it up in like one paragraph. It is, according to the U.S. attorneys, it is very likely, it is very possible that the President of the United States is a criminal. And it is very possible that his criminality aided and abetted his assumption of the position of President. Let that sink in. Last week, prosecutors made clear in a sentencing memo for Donald Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen that Trump himself had directed Cohen to break campaign finance laws. There it is. According to the U.S. attorney, the president of the United States is a criminal. And uh, Matthew Dowd from, I mean, this is stunning. This takes a lot to absorb. This kind of cuts through all the crap, did he or didn't he? The U.S. attorney says, boom, in this case, and again, on top of having been told last week in the same case up in New York that Donald Trump had been lying to the American people about Russian connections, his own Russian connections, and trying to get this hotel built while he was running for president. In addition to that, the U.S. attorney is saying the president of the United States directed his attorney to break the law on two occasions. Matthew Dowd, from now from ABC, again, sums it up exactly how serious this is. They're basically saying that Michael Cohen committed a felony at, at the direction of the President of the United States. For any other person in America but the President, they would probably already have been indicted and be in a process of a judicial process in this course of this. The, the Justice Department's policy since the 70s, and it's a policy, it's not a law, it's a policy, says that you can't d- indict a president. Yeah, so if he weren't Donald Trump, he'd be indicted. Michael Flint, Michael Cohen's been indicted for it. Donald Trump would be too, because they were partners in this crime. So 
what do you have here? We got a Nixon here. We have an unindicted co-conspirator. Adam Schiff, congressman from California, West Hollywood, uh, used to be my congressman, who will be incoming chair of the House Intelligence Committee, says this means that once he's out of office, but following that policy that Michael Dow, Matthew Dow just told us about, DOJ policy, not U.S. law, uh, to not indict a sitting president of the United States. Adam Schiff says that following that policy, here's what could happen to Donald Trump once he's out of office. My takeaway is there's a very real prospect that uh, on the day Donald Trump leaves office, the Justice Department uh, may indict him, uh, that he may be the first president uh, in quite some time to face the real prospect of jail time. Can you imagine? Former president of the United States sitting at a jail cell, maybe sharing a jail cell with Paul Manafort, his campaign manager, maybe sharing a jail with his son. I know we haven't heard <laughs> Donald Trump Jr. involved in this. Um, and uh, Chris Murphy, the senator from uh, Connecticut, pointing out, yeah, we've had an, we, this has happened <laughs> similarly to one other president. I'm not going to give the House advice on whether or not to proceed with impeachment. And I oh, think it is important for us yeah. to get the full. That's the uh, that's the other Chris Murphy. President uh, has now stepped into the same territory yep. that ultimately led to President Nixon resigning the office. President Nixon was an unindicted co-conspirator. There he is. Yeah, so he was. He was an unindicted co-conspirator. Uh, Nixon might also have been indicted. Nixon might also have faced jail time, remember, except that Jerry Ford pardoned him. So maybe Mike Pence, God forbid. Uh, no, maybe uh, Beto O'Rourke. He's not going to pardon Donald Trump. At any rate, I, uh, the reason I'm going to play this cups is we're into serious, serious territory now, guys. Serious territory. So I just want to make this distinction because as soon as this came out, I mean, all, I mean, as soon as it was all over TV, which we know that Donald Trump was watching, he took to uh, Twitter yes. to say, totally clears the president. Yes, right. Thank you. And... A lot of Republicans came out to say that this doesn't show any sort of collusion with Russia, uh, doesn't do any of that, which which I guess I guess is partially true uh, on that one particular issue. In fact, this morning, Donald but, Trump is tweeting. But that that is a separate of, issue of the payments. This is a separate issue. Yes. Donald Trump this morning is tweeting. Yeah. Uh, Democrat. I'm, I'm going to read this as he wrote it. Democrats can't find a smocking gun. Tying the Trump campaign to Russia after James Comey's testimony. No smocking gun, no collusion. Smocking gun. Yeah. Uh, but it's all about the they, they think that this is all about Russia and collusion and all of that. And we haven't even gotten to that yet. No. Well, I want to get to that in just a minute here, but right. But, but I mean, Mueller hasn't Mueller gotten has to that it. yet no, publicly. No. And by the way, he has not publicly used the word collusion. Look at that. But but so just, just stick on this campaign contribution. Again, you cannot overemphasize the significance of what happened on Friday. The U.S. attorney says the president of the United States, not his son, not his campaign manager, not anybody else in the operation, the president himself directed the commission of two federal crimes. What ought to happen to that? What could happen? As Adam Schiff told us, he'd be indicted if he were not the president of the United States. Um, so now on top of that, 
on top of that, let's go to the other Michael Cohen thing, saying that, oh, yes, while Donald Trump was telling the American people that he had no connections at all with Russia, never had, no financial dealings, no nothing, that Michael Cohen says he was lying about it. At that very time, they were trying to get this new hotel project going in uh, in Moscow, and they offered, remember, Vladimir Putin a $50 million free penthouse, $50 million penthouse, to seal the deal. That was the sweet, sweet deal fell through, but that was that was their uh, little um, extra little benefit that they offered to try to make the deal work. And so now, uh, thanks to Axios over the weekend, who went back and looked at all the connections, the Russian connections, uh, they've come up with 14, 14 individuals. We know most of them, Michael Cohen now, Jeff Sessions, Jared Kushner, Michael Flynn, Paul Manafort, probably Roger Stone, but there were 14 people during the Trump transition, the campaign rather, and the transition, who were openly, had open contacts with Russian, that which they kept secret, with Russian officials, Russian operatives, Kremlin representatives, who reached out to help the Trump campaign and some of them they had meetings with, some of them uh, they didn't. Uh, but Axios sort of summed it up, what we know about those uh, Russian connections. Just just uh, take a look at it, right? We know that um, several Russian officials reached out to Republicans close to Trump, including Donnie Jr., offering assistance with his presidential campaign. We know that nobody in the Trump campaign informed the FBI that Russians were trying to influence the election. Never, never once. We know that on least at least one occasion, Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner, Michael Flynn, and other Paul Manafort met with um, those Russian officials to get dirt on Hillary. We know that Roger Stone and Jerry Corsi were in touch with WikiLeaks to find out what the Russians had told them about the DNC and Hillary, Hillary's emails. We know that Several people, including during the transition, uh, several people, including Jeff Sessions and Michael Flynn and Jared Kushner, continued their conversations with the Russians. We know that Jared Kushner, remember, uh, suggested setting up a secret back channel with the Kremlin to avoid uh, eavesdropping by the uh, NSA. Uh, and then we know about uh, Donald Trump and Michael Cohen in, in this uh, whole hotel project. So 14 14 people, including Donald Trump and around Donald Trump, uh, had connections with the Russians during that time. And then Donald Trump still insists there was no Russian connection. Like he says here this morning, they can find no evidence of collusion. Well, Robert Mueller may not yet have publicly used the word collusion, but boy, if collusion is contacts with the Russians to get their assistance in the campaign— the collusion is pretty, pretty evident, uh, I think, uh, all all over the place. And there's one other point which I think sticks out here, and that is when you realize that Donald Trump knew all about the payments to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, directed them, and when you add that Donald Trump knew all about that hotel project in Moscow and was part of the deal— 
Are we really supposed to believe that Donald Trump knew nothing about that meeting at Trump Tower on June the 9th, 2016? I mean, seriously, Peter, right? I mean, it of be- course he did. It beggars the imagination to think that a man who was so involved in every other detail regarding the Russians would not know about that meeting. Of course he did. I mean, of course he did. Everything that we know about <laughs> Donald Trump from people who have worked with him to how we see how he handles himself in the media, uh, he is a a bit of a micromanager, mm-hmm. right? And that doesn't mean that he's super hands-on where he needs to be. He just puts his hands into everything, right? I alone can fix it. That was part of his campaign pledge. I alone can fix it. So th- nobody's doing any of this stuff with, with regards to the campaign without him knowing about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to. Got Say to. what you will about Donald Trump. He, now, he, he puts his nose into, into everything, right? Yeah, and as you For pointed out earlier, sort of the uh, icing on the cake here is that when this comes out and the world is told that the president has in, uh, uh, engineered, if you will, two federal crimes, Donald Trump tweets out, totally clears the president. Thank you. So good. What bubble does this guy live in? What planet does he live on? And, you know, as I said on MSNBC with Alex Witt Saturday morning, other than that, it sort of reminds me of the great old line, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you like the show? <laughs> um, George Conway's, George Conway, Kellyanne, yes, Kellyanne Conway's husband, uh, I love his tweet. He also tweeted out in response to that president's tweet, totally clears the president. Thank you. Here's George Conway, quote, Except for that little part where the U.S. Attorney's Office says that you directed and coordinated with Cohen to commit two felonies. Other than that, totally scot-free. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I think that the Trump people think that this is about collusion and nothing else. Yeah, well, they keep focusing on that, focusing on that, right? Because they know there's no law that says collusion is right. a crime. Right. It leads to other stuff. Sure, that that they're trying. That's what they're trying to make it all about. They keep coming. Donald Trump. How many times? A million times, as he said. There's no collusion. We're so far past that. Yeah. At this point, even this morning, his first tweet this morning is what he said. No yeah. collusion. No collusion. So what the guy needs is clearly. Um, I think clearly Robert Mueller is closing in on him, and uh, he needs a new chief of staff. Well, we started the weekend thinking he had one. He was. Kicking John Kelly under the bus, he, he he announced that John Kelly would be gone by the end of the year. It, but let's not forget, it was not that long ago that he vowed, he put up this whole big thing, John Kelly is here through 2020. Through 2020, yeah. Because so, there were rumors that they were unhappy oh, with yes. each no, other. No, no, he said, no, no he's here until no, no, 2020. No, no. He's agreed to stay until 2020. So um, then he just soured on John Kelly, and John Kelly, I think, soured on him. Um but we were told that uh, John Kelly was going to be gone by the end of the year, and he'd offered the job to, and it was all done, it was a done deal, to Nick Ayers, 36 years old, who's the chief of staff to Mike Pence. Sunday, Nick Ayers said, I don't want this freaking job. This stinking job, you can take that job and shove it. I'm leaving the White House. He's going to run some pack for the 2016 campaign. He's moving back to Georgia. So now <laughs> Donald Trump... Has kicked John Kelly on the bus, and the, his number one choice to take his place said, "I don't want the job." He's he doesn't have anybody who wants to be his chief of staff. By the way, 
I can't blame him. No, it's who in the worst world would want job, that job? Worst job in the world because Donald Trump doesn't want anybody who's going to tell him kind of what to do or how to do it or maybe rein him in in any way whatsoever. He won't listen to anybody. Right. Who would want Absolutely that job? Absolutely not. No. There used to be the joke about how being vice president was the worst job in the White House, right? Yeah, I give right. Donald Trump credit. He's completely redefined that job yeah. of like what the worst job in the White House would be. So they're talking now about Mark Meadows, the head of the Freedom Caucus, right? Oh, yeah. Give up a seat in Congress to go down there and be his... You know, butt boy. And, and, and look, say Forget what you will it. about Mark Meadows, who's who's been behind a lot of bad ideas, a lot of bad legislation. Yeah, it, he's one of the guys that could get things done in Congress for yeah, Republicans. He's got a good job now and a sure. strong position, right? Or they're talking about um, Mick Mulvaney. Yeah, Mulvaney's already <laughs> the budget director, and then they made him head of the Office of Consumer Protection because they wanted to Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. They wanted to uh, tear that down. So he's got two hats. He might as well wear a third. He yeah. he would do it. Of course he would. Oh, no. He's the kind of loyalist who would fall on the sword again for Donald Trump. Um, it, they're just throwing names out there right now. They they don't have anybody. don't have anybody. Uh, I'll tell you one guy they're not going to bring back. Uh, they're not going to bring uh, Rex Tillerson back. Uh, <laughs> so Rex Tillerson at a forum out in uh, Houston, I believe it was, over the weekend, he sat down with our good friend... Uh, Bob Schieffer from CBS News for just a little uh, interview about uh, it was a fundraiser I think for something and, and uh, that this was the entertainment and Rex Tillerson uh, talked about what it was like to work for Donald Trump. He is a challenging individual. <laughs> it was challenging for me uh, coming from the disciplined, highly um, you know, process-oriented ExxonMobil Corporation where everybody sang from the same hymnal or you got kicked out of the choir. And to go to work for a man who is pretty undisciplined, uh, doesn't, doesn't like to read, doesn't read briefing reports, doesn't, doesn't <laughs> like to get into the details of a lot of things, but rather just kind of says, look, this is what I believe. And you can try to convince me otherwise, but most of the time you're not going to do that. You could, you could see. Now, look, uh, I didn't uh, agree with Rex Tillerson on everything, but certainly he's a, ve he's a real professional. He's a CEO of one of the largest corporations on the planet, and he had to have discipline and order in, in that business, and he did. And he comes into working for a guy who is totally undisciplined. They could not have more, been more different in their managing style um, and their governing style. Uh, Rex Tillerson says also, uh, so I tried to tell him a couple of times, you can't quite do it that way, uh, Mr. President, but he wouldn't listen. When the president would say, well, here's what I want to do, and, and here's how I want to do it, and I'd have to say to him, well, Mr. President, I understand what you want to do, but you can't do it that way. Uh, it violates the law. Uh, it violates a treaty. You know, and and he, you know, he just he got really frustrated. Uh, yeah, you can just see it again. That's why th that's sort of what a chief of staff should do, too. Right. Or anybody around the president should do. And that's the last thing that Donald Trump wants or will uh, tolerate. So, of course, what does Donald Trump do when somebody says anything even mildly critical about the president? United States, rather than ignore it, which he should, he punches down. He has to. Go to Twitter.
Yeah, that's what he did over the weekend. He says, quote, <laughs> Mike Pompeo is doing a great job. I am very <laughs> proud of him. His predecessor, Rex Tillerson, didn't have the mental capacity needed. He was dumb as a rock, and I couldn't get rid of him fast enough. He was lazy as hell. Now it is a whole new ball game. Great spirit at state. <laughs> well, again. Wow. Again. I did not uh, agree with that Rex Tillerson should have been there, particularly, by the way, because of his connections with Russia and his feelings about the sanctions on Russia. Uh, and uh, not necessarily a great big fan of ExxonMobil. But he is a brilliant manager. He's no, he is a, he's very, very intelligent, very organized. He is not lazy, driven man, not lazy, and certainly not dumb as a rock. Um I'm not sure who put this list together, but I ran into this over the week. These are people that I might have been CNN. Uh, uh, Rex Tillerson has some company. He's not the first person to be called dumb as a rock by President Trump. <laughs> Actually, the list goes like this. In addition to Rex Tillerson, um, we remember some of these. Mika Brzezinski, Don Lemon, Glenn Beck, Rick Wilson, Chris Matthews, Bill Maher, John Goldberg, Brian Gumbel, Jay Leno, Touré, isn't it? Yeah, Touré. Touré. Yeah. And in the primary, Jeb Bush. Dumb as a rock. Dumb as a rock. All of them. So um, if you're dumb as a rock, you're a pretty good person as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> if Donald Trump calls you dumb as a rock, you're probably on my my hit list of heroes <laughs> at any rate. Oh, my God. You know, we just scratched the surface here. Got a lot more to do. And Donald Trump particularly... Now, what's going on with the trade and with a trade issue and the market and the tariffs and the trade war with China? Sabrina Rodriguez, on top of all of that for Politico, joins us in studio next year on The Bill Press Show. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back. So stay right there. This is The Bill Press Show. Okay, happy holidays and happy Monday, December 10, uh, The Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us today. Thanks so much for being part of the program as we come to you live uh, coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C. And from Capitol Hill, we reach out to you thanks to the today the members of the Sheet Metal Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers Union, otherwise known as the Smart Union. Good men and women of the Smart Union under President Joseph Sellers giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay uh, for a fair day's pay. And you can check out their website at smart-union.org. And we welcome to the studio to talk uh, trade issues, tariff issues, what's going on with the uh, trade war with China, if there is one. Sabrina Rodriguez covers uh, those issues for the great Politico. Nice to see you, Sabrina. Thanks for coming Thank in. Thank you for having me. We have lots of listen, uh, different angles of this uh, to get to, uh, but first we've been... Uh, Stirring things up for uh, the last half hour or so. Peter? Yes, indeed. Uh, lots of comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show, <laughs> including lots of people who were mocking the smocking tweet. Donald Trump, again, uh, with you another mean, misspelling in his tweet. Oh, the smocking. Smocking. Yeah, the, the he misspelled smock. Meant to say smoking gun and spelled How did he smell smocking, by the way? S-M-O-C-K-I-N-G. Smocking gun. By the way, uh, on that point, <laughs> yeah. I also see he says, 
Oh, that was last night. I am in the process of interviewing some really great people for the position of chief of staff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we've got a lot of comments on that, and okay. we appreciate yes. it. Uh, Holly uh, on Twitter, where we are at, uh, on Twitter, at BP Show, Holly says, Did Trump know about Russia conspiracy? Of course he did. Of course he spelled C-O-R-S-I, as in Jerome oh, of Corsi. Course he, of yes, course of course. Of course yeah. uh, and by the Very way, don't funny. don't forget, we are on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Shout out Michael McAllister, who gave us a super chat, gave us a super chat Great. about Rex Tillerson. Uh, says, yes, Rex Tillerson is a professional, professional criminal. <laughs> he, along with every other oil executive, should be imprisoned for life. Thank you very much for that super chat. If you want to check that out, go to the chat room at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And of course, you can always find us on Twitter at BP Show. Sounds like the crowd's restless this morning, huh? They're pretty they've pissed been, off. Today, they, Bill. They've been raring up over the weekend. They're pretty ready, pissed off. Yeah, ready, ready to, uh, to jump in. Uh, so, Sabrina, what's going on with trade? First of all, um, Larry Kudlow says everything's normal, right? I mean, uh, in fact, he says that he's, uh, that we made such a great deal with China and they're going to roll back all these tariffs. Uh, here he is. Well, they're going to roll back their auto tariffs. I assume they're going to roll them all the way back. But that's an assumption. Yeah, I assume. That's an assumption. That's just my guess. That's what I expect. Do we really know? I mean, the president in Argentina met with the president, president Xi of China and announced they had this fantastic new trade deal with China. China didn't seem to see it quite that positively, right? So where are we now? And businesses don't seem to see it that way either um, in terms of just looking at, there's still tariffs on China. That's the big thing. There's They had a great meeting. It was supposed to have gone much better than expected. Um, for weeks, there was a lot of talk about, will they actually agree to negotiate? Will they have a bitter dinner? Will they accomplish anything? Um, ultimately, this 90-day truce that they agreed to is a step forward, but the changes that the U.S. wants are massive. I mean, the, the U.S. Want, has 142 demands that they want China to address. That's obviously not going to happen in 90 days. So the idea would be for China to agree to these massive structural changes that would change the way their economy works, would change the way that they protect intellectual property, force <laughs> technology transfers. Those are big issues to the United States. Um so naturally, over a dinner in Buenos Aires, that did not happen. But Trump's advisors for all of last week have been trying to say, you know, the talks are on track. We're headed in a good direction. We expect good progress, um, especially because the markets have not responded very well to the news. Um, they did jump a little bit on Monday following the announcement, but very quickly slowed down because they... Well, Tuesday it dropped 800 points. They realized the very yeah. quickly, you know, there's... There's still a lot of uncertainty lingering. And the reality is what Trump agreed to was we're not going to raise the tariffs that we have. There was a plan to raise the tariffs on $200 billion to 25% on the 1st of January. They said, you know, we're not going to do that for 90 days in good faith for these negotiations. But in the meanwhile, there's still tariffs on $250 billion worth of Chinese products and the threat of more. Um, so there's still, you know, they, they did talk. There was some productive conversations, but there's a lot of uncertainty around what's going to happen. I mean, I see the parallel, particularly with what happened in Singapore with, Singapore with Kim Jong-un, where the president, they talked, uh, you know, they had a good time, apparently, 
And Donald Trump again crowed about the fact that this is a spectacular new uh, relationship now with North Korea. North Korea had promised to do all this stuff, right? And last week, John Bolton said they haven't done a damn thing in terms of starting to tear down their nuclear weapons program and dismantle their nuclear weapons program. So all the talk about this was a great deal. Nothing happened, right? Uh, I see the same thing with China. President crowing about great deal with China. And then China said, no, we didn't really agree to that or all of that. And so it's yet to be seen how much really comes to fruition out of that, right? Absolutely. So China, so we put these 10% tariffs on China, but China responded with tariffs on U.S. goods. Indeed. Are they still in place? Yes, they are. So China has left in place, they have tariffs on $110 billion worth of um, U.S. goods, which is they did it. They measured it. They buy less from the United States than we buy from China. So they measured it to do it reciprocal. And they're keeping that in place until something changes in the relationship. Uh, and what about the famous soybean tariffs? Are, 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 the soybeans are, fall under those $110 billion, Um But, I mean, soybean growers are feeling it very roughly in the U.S. now. I mean, they from... The stats that came out from September to October showed that soybean exports are down by 47%. So it's been a huge hit for them. And that's part of Trump's base. For American farmers to lose 47% of their market, basically, huh? It's huge. I mean, and they soybean farmers have stockpiled and have tried to figure out the best ways to deal with it. But naturally, there's not the demand for it in the rest of the markets. And on top of this, again, you say that the um, American business community, <laughs> part, pardon me, is a little, um, the uncertainty troubles them, right, about what's going to happen. And while they're trying to figure it out, Donald Trump tweets out last week, I'm tariff man. Not well received. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely yeah. not well received. Um, business groups, I mean, have been a lot of business groups, I would say, agree that, yes, China is an issue. China needs to be addressed in terms of IP practices, in terms of forced technology transfers. I think most business groups you talk to would say the same thing. Now, the question is if tariffs is the best way to deal with it. Um, the administration argues that tariffs is the best way because it shows that they're not just trying to have dialogue. They're not just going to go and have talks with China for years that result in nothing. They're they're taking action right now to pressure China. Um, but obviously keeping restrictive measures is not something that businesses are too fond of. And Trump regularly talks about how much he loves tariffs. Um, the president has tweeted about being a tariff man, tweeted about how often he's tweeted often about how the U.S. is receiving all this money from the tariffs in the meanwhile. Um, which is a very difficult thing for business people to hear and people in the industries to hear because the people that are paying for the tariffs are Americans and the way that he often phrases it is like, oh, we're collecting all this money from other countries, but really it's Americans that are paying the tariffs. Paying the tariffs, how so? In terms of higher prices for goods? Yeah, so when a company is going to buy a good now from China, they're still buying a good from China, but they have to pay the tariff the 10% tariff, a U.S. business is the one that's incurring that 10%. Um, so that's money coming from Americans. Right, right. So China's still selling. We have to pay 10% more, which means the, the, not the manufacturer, but whatever company is importing that. And then the consumer is paying 
10%, maybe plus more to buy that product. Right. Yeah, consumers tend to be so, the last ones to feel it. Um, yeah. Businesses like Walmart, for example, are taking on the cost, but they have said, you know, if the tariffs do increase, consumers will feel it. Well, that, yeah, so th- I'm puzzled why, by, so it's been a few months now since Donald Trump put these tariffs in place. I'm, I'm surprised why the market hasn't, or not the market, the U.S. economy hasn't shown more of an impact. Is it because those tariffs are pretty minor so far? I mean, the argument is that they, I mean, the way that it's being looked at is that they are minor so far, um, as well as the U.S. economy is still thriving off of the tax reform, is thriving off of um, financial regulation changes under Trump. But just last week, um, the Business Roundtable, which is headed by um, J.P. Morgan Chase's chairman, he was talking about how, you know, trade is really the biggest threat right now to economic growth and how, yes, there's still a lot of positive prospects for economic growth, but that trade is what is going to slow it down. Well, I remember the days, it wasn't that long ago, where kind of Republicans were free trade, right? Free trade. And Democrats were free, yes, but fair trade, right? So, um, but the Republicans were un, uninhibited trade, international trade, global trade. What happened? Donald Trump got elected, I guess. Donald Trump happened. (laughs) President Donald Trump happened. Um, I mean, there's definitely changing dynamics right now. One of the biggest signs of it is there's um, the new NAFTA that was negotiated that's going to be going through Congress. And there's a lot of conversations around how many Democrats will support it, how many Republicans. You know, the traditional free trade Republicans are very concerned Um, that the deal might be a little too protectionist for their taste. Some say, well, it addresses the biggest points in terms of investments, in terms of IP. Um, But it's really changing dynamics for sure. And there's more Democrats for free trade um, now than there used to be for sure. Uh, The New Deal is the U.S. MCA. MCA, right. Uh, That's right. I've got to get Canada in there too. Um, so the president negotiated, or his people negotiated mm-hmm. this deal. He supports it. He goes to Congress, uh, so-called new NAFTA. But he cannot do that by executive order, right? It requires an act of Congress. Yeah. So Congress has, has to, to adopt. Congress has to, has, to, has to pass it. Right. And right now it's not looking like that will be happening. Um, granted, Trump, one of the big one of the things that he also did in the G20, aside from his China summit, um, was he threatened to withdraw from NAFTA. So he had a signing ceremony for USMCA there with the president of Mexico and the Canadian um, prime minister. And afterwards on Air Force One coming back, he said, well, I'm going to withdraw <laughs> from the original NAFTA to pressure Congress to vote yeah. on mine, um, because right now there are a lot of concerns that they're raising in Congress. So. Uh, does this have? Is there a timeline when it would have to be approved? Well, if he does go through with withdrawing from the original NAFTA, that gives six months for Congress to act, um, and then after six months, basically there would be no NAFTA in place and no USMCA. And no USMCA. Well, um, the you know his chance certainly. I think if he had a vote between now and the end of the year, he might be able to get the USMCA through. Unlikely they're going to get a vote in this lame duck session, right? Yeah. And I would think it would be less likely, uh, still unlikely and maybe impossible once Democrats take control of the House to approve this trade deal. 
The new trade deal. Yeah, it's very difficult right now. And one of the things is Trump tasked USMCA and the person that's heading his talks for um, China, Robert Lighthizer, the U.S. trade representative, he really has, he's gone through the effort of going to Congress, having conversations. Obviously, there's people in Congress that would disagree with that statement, but he did talk a lot with unions and try and address a lot of Democratic concerns, and that has been well-received. Um, Nancy Pelosi did, she had a meeting with him last week and went over, you know, this agreement. There are good things in this agreement. However, these are the list of concerns I have. Um, so there is, you know... He's talked a lot about he wants this agreement to be well-received in Congress. He doesn't want them to pass it just because they have to pass it. He wants them to pass it because they're happy with it. Um, but I think Trump will try and twist their hand is what it's appearing to be. Yeah. We're talking trade issues with Sabrina Rodriguez from Politico, politico.com, trade and tariffs. Very, very important these days and very much a part of the president's uh, agenda. So back to China for a second. So while the president... The two presidents are sitting down in Argentina having this wonderful dinner, and I don't know whether they had any beautiful chocolate cake at that dinner like they did at Mar-a-Lago, the famous dinner there. Uh, And then they announced what a great deal they had. At the very time that they are whining and dining in Argentina, in Canada, at the behest of the United States, Canada is arresting the CEO of Huawei, the big uh, internet company uh, in Chinese internet company, and um, for on charges of selling intellectual information right to mm-hmm. Iran or equipment or whatever or Iran, um, and demanding or asking that she, having been arrested, be extradited to the United States to stand trial. But that didn't help, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Trump administration is definitely arguing that this is on a separate track. How um, can it be? Administration. She's one of the top Chinese corporate executives, right? Like Jamie Dimon. If the Chinese had arrested Jamie Dimon when mm-hmm. he was in Beijing and said it has nothing to do with the United States, we might think differently, right? Absolutely. I mean, the administration's pulling that argument. They've been doing that since Thursday. And I think largely it's the markets responded very poorly. The markets opened on Thursday and dropped um, right after the news overnight. So we found out a few days late. We didn't find out while they were in their summit talking. No, um, right. It took a we few, just found out later that that's when the arrest took it place. It took a few days to find out that it had happened the same time that they were having their dinner. Um, and it had been planned. I mean, it had been coordinated with the Canadian authorities. Yeah. And right now there is a lot of backlash from China. China has summoned the ambassador in Canada and the ambassador of the United States to go there, has already protested against it, has said, you know, China will... Um, seek further action if based on what the U.S.'s actions are. So they want them to withdraw the arrest warrant. Um, and today there are more hearings to see related to it um, in Canada. She was arrested in Vancouver. But, mm. I mean, everyone agrees that this is not good for the talks. And in terms of the business community, I mean, there was a dinner last week with the business roundtable where one of my colleagues, Ben White, was at. And one of the things that he overheard from a lot of business executives were saying, well, we're not going to be sending anyone to China in the next few weeks because we don't want to risk that happening to us. Oh, wow. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. American executives in China. Yeah. It could be a tit tit for tat kind of situation. They arrest them and just hold them, right? Yeah. There's a huge concern there. You're capable of doing for sure. In which case, I'm sure we would protest loudly and send warships probably off the coast of China. I don't Absolutely. Know. What would be the impact of a, if, do we have a trade war with China now? We do. There's, we do. 
I think people will argue if it's escalating trade tensions, trade disputes, but most people would say at this point, with the number of tariffs we have, yes. Um, and what would it take for that to really send the U.S. economy in a tailspin? Well, the U.S. has threatened, the Trump administration has already threatened to put tariffs on the remaining $267 billion worth of Chinese goods that come in. Um, and that would be hitting laptops, cell phones, Apple cell phones. Um, this would not be something that Tim Cook would receive well. Um, if that were to happen, I think that that would have a much bigger effect. Um, there's been a lot of talk of, you know, if he hits all the Chinese goods that we purchase, that could slow down economic growth. Right now, it hasn't been. There's still a lot of talk of, you know, there is a strong economy. The economy can take a hit of tariffs for a bit. But, I mean, that's not for a, that's for the foreseeable future, but not definitely the long term. Right. So we know that the market is not um, the economy, right? It's one indicator. Uh, we know the market, as we pointed out, one day what fell down to 799 points, came back up, the Dow came back up then Thursday. They were closed Wednesday because of this memorial service for mm -hmm. President Bush. Thursday went down almost 800 and then came back up and ended 79 down, again, talking about the Dow. Overall, what does that say about the state of the American economy? Is it still pretty healthy today? I mean, we've had this, we've been in this economic recovery for 10 years now, uh, likely to continue? Or some people were saying when the market crashed that way that this and these trade talks and everything could be leading to a recession. Do you fear that? There's a lot of volatility now that definitely raises concerns about that. Um, there was actually a, a colleague of mine wrote a story this past week that one of Trump's biggest 2020 threats would be a recession and how that's because of the change. Threat to us and to him, a particularly. Well, a threat yeah. to his reelection would right. be, and to obviously the American people, but... Um, one of the biggest threats to his reelection in 2020 would be a recession because obviously Americans are going to look at their economic prospects um, before voting and see, OK, well, how has Trump what has Trump done for us in the past four years? And there is a lot of concern about that, seeing the slowed economic growth. Some analysts say, you know, it's too soon to say that it's still pretty strong and there's still projections for 2019 is like a 2.7 percent economic growth rate. But there's still obviously that's slowing down. Do you think we're heading toward a recession? I hope not. <laughs> but right. I mean, so there do I, is. But by, by the way, um, but there is. With, Even if it's bad for Donald Trump, I hope not. I mean, it'd be bad for me too, and for all of us. I guess it's to be seen. I think it also depends largely on how long this tariff policy is in place. But the administration has given every indication that they're not going to back off. So. If tariffs do continue and the economy heads the way it is, it is slowing down, so it's possible. Uh, and do we still have tariffs against, uh, I've, I've lost track of now, um, Other, we had them once against Canada, then Mexico, and the EU? Yes, so we still have in place the ones on Canada and Mexico, which was a big sticking point from the NAFTA negotiations. They had for a long time made it seem like the steel and aluminum tariffs that they have on Canada mm -hmm. and Mexico would go away once they finish the negotiations. It was supposed to be seen as some way of leverage. They're still in place. They finished the negotiations and they kept them in place. And now they're negotiating to remove them. But they're not going to. Um, the White House has indicated, different officials have indicated that what they're trying to negotiate is quotas instead of just eliminating them. Um, so it's to be seen how they finish that. They wrap that up. But there are still tariffs in place for other countries. Yeah. And the EU as well. 
Yeah, and the EU as well. They decided to not impose more, but they did. They still have remained some in place. Yeah, you know, back on the political front, uh, Peter and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, there are those who believe that with Donald Trump's base, you know, politically, he could do anything, including hush payments to Stormy Daniels and others. Uh, pardon me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, but if we were to go into an economic tailspin, that's the only thing that would uh, undercut his political base. Absolutely. Yeah, and, so, uh, and and playing with these tariffs is really playing with fire in terms of the health of the economy. Definitely. Yeah. You got your work cut out for you. Yeah, indeed. Okay. <laughs> Sabrina, this is the one of the biggest issues of the day right now, watching the administration deal with us. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you. Uh, you can follow Sabrina Rodriguez and our great colleagues at Politico at politico.com. John Bennett covers the White House for Roll Call. Coming this up next is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Looking for a job? Got a big job opening in Washington. How would you like to be chief of staff to the president of the United States? Hey, it's yours. Nobody else wants a damn job. You can have it. Just raise your hand. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we go. <laughs> On a Monday, December 10, uh, The Bill Press Show. Great to see you today as we reach out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And our job to bring you all the news of the day, uh, we do so on radio, on television, and online. Your your job is to tell us what you think about it all, and you do so on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, Send us your comments as we uh, update you on everything that's happened since the last time we were together on Friday, and uh, there's no such thing as a slow news day anymore. Even on the weekend, the news keeps rolling in. It keeps people uh, like me and John Bennett very white, very busy. John Bennett, who covers the White House for Roll Call. John, how you doing? Uh, quite the weekend, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Can you believe it? I mean, lots I, of I, rest, I, relaxation, you know. What's yeah. that? I did. I did manage somehow. I managed to uh, sneak off to a movie Saturday afternoon, but of course that followed uh, the president's announcement that, uh, that that John Kelly was leaving as chief of staff. So, um, you know, luckily we do these things called pre-writes in the business, where you oh. sense something is coming, yeah, and it's just a matter of finding that file and and wherever you have it in your system, quickly topping it with what the president said about his latest decision. And then shooting it out as quickly as possible, which is exactly what we did. I was in the middle of shaving Saturday, and my um, and I just happened to look at. Uh, I knew he was leaving for the Army yeah. Navy football game, and and took a, a break from uh, from ripping the hair out of my face, and looked to see if there was a pool report, and there it was. 
So then I frantically with shaving cream on my face trying to file this, it and, and get everything going. This is the life of a White House reporter That's these amazing. days. It is it is, has changed. We are all on call all the time. That's so right. Lots and lots to talk about. Again, we want to hear your comments on Twitter at BP Show. John and I have got lots to talk about. But first, this so is Peter, the full uh, court Peter press. press yes, indeed. Just a couple other stories making news. You know, it's been a long year, Bill. Can you even believe that this year was the, the we had the Olympics, the Winter Olympics for this year? Is that amazing? No, really. I yeah, forgot really. all about it. I them. know. It's been that long of a year. Well, the Olympics Wait, actually... in Sochi? That's right. <laughs> no. No, well, no, no. Where Argentina. Were... No? No, no, it was the Winter Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. Where the hell were they? Were they Sochi? South Korea? No. South Korea. South Korea. There we go. That's we right, because the North on. and the South got together. Right. Oh, gosh. Oh, right, wow. right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah that was yeah, a century yeah. ago. <laughs> all right. Well, the Olympics actually made news over the weekend because they put out a statement saying that they have actually had discussions about whether or not to include eSports into the Olympics. Now, when we talk about eSports, what are we talking about? We're talking about video games, Bill. We're talking about video games. And uh, video games have changed a lot since I was a kid. They now have these tournaments where people fill, like Madison Square Garden gets sold out so that people can watch other people play video games. It's a thing. But are they athletes? The Olympics put no, up a saying, come on. No. They said, quote, oh, a discussion good. about the inclusion of esports is premature, is just how they put it. Just say no. Yeah. I mean, they didn't shut the door. But I agree with you. It's, yeah. it's absolutely not an Olympic sport. By the way, I think this is probably a bad thing to do if you're interviewing for a job. A man in Florida, where else, walked into a Kohl's department store for a job interview. Apparently he did pretty well, but then on his way out the door, he stole two pairs of shoes. (laughs) (laughs) A security guard actually chased him down, found in his car two pairs of Nike sneakers uh, without a security tag that he had gotten off. So... No word on whether or not he got the job, but I think Uh, we could probably guess he did not, (laughs) in fact, get the job. He didn't want the job. He wanted the sneakers. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, here we are, the President of the United States, according to the U.S. Attorney in New York, directed and organized uh, the commission of two federal crimes. (laughs) Boy, we're back in Richard Nixon days, unindicted co-conspirators. What's going on? We'll find out. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say on a Monday, December 10? Good to see you today. Thanks so much for being with us here. It is the Bill Press Show as we join you all across this great land of ours. Everywhere in the United States and around the globe, we're right there with you, coming from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on the great WCPT radio out in Chicago and the greater Chicago area, and hello, hello, uh, everywhere in this great land of ours on Free Speech TV as well. Uh, with a look at the White House and uh, the latest in Trump world uh, today, uh, this half hour at least, with John Bennett, who covers the White House for Roll Call. I'll let John, John, great to see you today. Good to see you. Um, 
So the president uh, Saturday went up to the uh, Army-Navy game. Um, I give credit for a friend of mine who tweeted that uh, in two years, this is the first time the president has gotten close to a combat zone. Mm. Yeah. We know he hasn't been to Afghanistan and Iran, so I think he realized that. He had to go to a combat zone. He went to the Army-Navy game. Well, he says he's going to to a combat zone soon, and they're planning. Um, but you know, the president has said over these last uh, uh, two years that that they're going to do any number of things in the next it, it, two weeks is is what we hear a lot of. Um, yeah, it's been about two weeks since he first said that. It was around Thanksgiving that this criticism popped up, and you know, there's nothing there's nothing really um, uh, anytime soon. Usually, what presidents will do is They'll tack that on to the end of a foreign trip or on their way to a foreign trip, and there is there's nothing until sometime next year. Uh, so who knows? So he chose to go to Philly instead, right? But we do know uh, on that point that President Obama, President Bush, the other President Bush, President Clinton, they all went to combat zones. Usually at Thanksgiving, you know, that was their famous trip, right? That's right. Helping serve Thanksgiving dinner, whatever. The president hasn't done that. Yeah, I was talking to a White House source the other day who was saying that it looks like he's going to go at Christmas, that he that he realizes okay. now he's got to go. Yeah. But that was not an yeah. official announcement, but they're certainly talking about it. Okay. Yeah. Th- that would make sense. Um, you know, but we can't, we can't also, we can't forget what he said about um, some the war zones that he could, he's not going to go to Syria, obviously. I doubt, seriously, he's going to go to, say, northern Iraq. It's going to be Afghanistan, I would guess. Right. Yeah. And remember what he said about Afghanistan as a candidate. And even uh, even as a president, you know, when he finally announced that he was going to keep U.S. troops there, um, you know, they kind of had to drag the boss to that decision. Um, so, you know, he tells you what he thinks about things. We, we might have noticed this. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. The reality is setting in that that the optics, um, even even though sometimes he doesn't he doesn't seem to care in the traditional way about optics, even when they're bad for him. I think this one has gotten his attention. Right now, I want to call on Matthew Dowd from ABC News uh, to to kick off um, our discussion about what happened and what we heard from the U.S. Attorney on Friday, uh, talking about Michael Cohen and saying Michael Cohen. Yeah, he cooperated a little bit, but not as much as we wanted. So we don't think he should get that much mercy. We think he should serve four years in prison. At the same time, they made a pretty stunning uh, comment about the role of the president of the United States. Matthew Dowd sums it up. They're basically saying that Michael Cohen committed a felony at, at the direction of the president of the United States. For any other person in America but the president, they would probably already have been indicted and be in a process of a judicial process in this course of this. The, the Justice Department's policy since the 70s, and it's a policy, it's not a law, it's a policy, says that you can't d- indict a president. So, in effect, the U.S. attorney is saying that the president of the United States is an unindicted co-conspirator in the commission, com, uh, conspirator in the commission of two federal crimes. I mean, let that sink in, Right. That's right. You know, individual and then one Donald is Trump clearly. Says, yeah, individual yeah. one is Donald Trump. That's right. And, and Donald Trump says, right, um, totally clears the president. Thank you. Right. <laughs> and then uh, Saturday he followed it up. He calls it collusion illusion, which Rudy Giuliani, his personal lawyer, is now uh, is now mm-hmm. repeating out there. Um, yes, you're right. The, the And the Justice Department guidelines say you shouldn't 
convict a sitting president because of you know a, a whole host of good governance reasons. Um, one can make the argument that maybe this administration is not so interested in, in governance. Those of us who ask a lot of yeah. policy or congressional questions dealing with legislation, you know, you can walk out of there frustrated on a Tuesday or a Friday. It doesn't seem like they're always that interested in governance. And then there's another legal question. If the president, if the president orchestrated an action that helped that you can make a strong case, um, helped him get elected in the first place, right. should the DOJ statute or, or guideline stand? And, you know, that very well may be a question that the Supreme Court at some point next year has to take up. Yeah, because he not in this case, again, we're talking about campaign finance. In, we haven't seen other stuff that Robert Mueller might accuse him of. Right. He could still accuse him of collusion no matter what Rudy Giuliani says right. or obstruction of justice or witness tampering. Here we're talking about— Or all of the above. All of the above. Here we're talking about elect, campaign election, campaign finance right. violations, right? which normally get a fine or something, but they are against the law. These are two illegal actions, right? One of which, or both of which, I guess, both of which were directed, we're talking about the payments to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. They were done for the purpose of shielding him from what could have been some bad publicity. And Michael Cohen has admitted to that in this. That's why they did it. Right. And so, therefore, helping helping him get elected president, influencing what happened, the ultimate outcome of the election. That's right. Michael Cohen says in, in these latest uh, this latest set of court filings that that he was concerned that this would, would hurt his boss in the election, would hurt his chances. It was, you know, down the home stretch here. Um, they they knew I always suspected their polling showed them that he had a, a puncher's chance, that he had a shot at this thing, even when even when the, the polling that we were seeing showed, you know, Hillary Clinton's up 11, she's up 9, she's up 13, she's up 8. You know, it, it went back and forth. But the Trump internal polling on what they were trying to do showed that that this would be a big, big problem if these payments came out. Uh, they were trying to just weave together 271. It was an yeah. electoral strategy, and Michael Cohen was very concerned that if this got out, and it, it says it right there in the documents, this is what Mueller has. We don't even know what he, he he doesn't have here. Right. What the what the president and his aides and and really Rudy Rudy Giuliani, easy for me to say, um, are trying to do here. They're trying to make this not about the legal fight. They're trying to. They're fighting the public opinion. Of course battle. they are. And Rudy Giuliani has admitted that. That's his right. job. Right. He's not there as an attorney. He's there as a huckster, as a PR right. person. But I'm going to go back to this. If you if the Donald Trump was elected. By breaking the law, or if he broke the law in order to get elected and it worked, and it's proven that he broke the law, does that invalidate the election? Could I don't. It? Could it? This is why we we've haven't. We've never been there, we've, right? We've never been there. Remember, Watergate at its core was a campaign finance um, yes. issue at Good its point. core. Yes. So, you know, it became about the burglary and everything else. But that's where it started, breaking into the DNC for campaign-related reasons, and it it ballooned from there. Um, I think there's some ballooning going on here. Um, you know, the president and Giuliani will make the the argument that well, this isn't what the special counsel was supposed to be doing. That's why Mueller brought in the pros- the federal prosecutors in New York. So, 
we don't know how this ends, but the next year or so, as we get into the president's expected reelection bid, and there's an argument now that if he wants to evade jail time, you alluded to some kind of big fine is also possible. You know, the protections of the office of the president may lead him, even if, if he's frustrated, you know, we'll see tomorrow if he can cut a deal on to get money for his border wall with with us, with Speaker designate Pelosi and. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. and Chuck Schumer from the Senate, Senate Democrats, um, you know, if if he's feeling frustrated, like he hasn't gotten enough done, you know, and there was some speculation of this in Trump world that he might just flip the keys to Mike Pence and not run again. Um, but now the protections of the presidency may may keep him from getting indicted in some kind of legal trouble, find himself in plea, you know, in plea talks the the minute he walks out of the White House. So. Um, I think that 2019 is largely going to be about these questions, and you're asking the right questions. How does an illegal action, what does that mean for those DOJ guidelines, and how quickly can this, might this work through the court system? Are, are we going to have a 2020 election when voters walk into those polls, when they get their absentee ballots, when they vote early, are we going to be waiting for the Supreme Court to maybe even just tell us if they'll take the case, if there is one? So we could head into 2020 with this hanging over, this huge question mark from the last election. This could get very messy. Right. Um, And, you know, there's been so much. Robert Mueller went kind of quiet during the midterms, okay? Yeah. But since then, man, it's been like every other day. The Michael Flynn filing, you know, he came out against Paul Manafort saying Manafort reneged on his deal. We got the – pardon me. And then later this Some week, Michael Cohen yeah. stuff. We'll get you know, the sentencing, I believe, of Cohen. Sentencing of Cohen on yeah. Wednesday. Right. So every day, if not every other day, right? It's something else coming out. And and but Trump and that tweet is indicative of it. Totally clears the president. Thank you. He seems to feel that this is like not happening. I mean, is he? Who's he kidding here? I mean, the way I see it, it looks like Mueller's closing in on Trump. It does. It does. And I had been reluctant. Um, before all of this activity that you just uh, alluded to. And and you see it in the documents, and you can read the documents. You can get a feel for the evidence. I had been reluctant to say that, that Mueller was closing in on the president. But after Friday, and I, I someone, I can't remember the bevy of cable shows I was watching yeah, Friday, um, yeah. said that, that Friday was the most consequential day of the Mueller investigation, which started back in you know, late spring of 2017. And it really does feel that way. And I do think now that the more that comes out, the more that Mueller reveals, and he still hasn't revealed that much, it really seems like the president is is in the bullseye. If he's not in the yep. bullseye, you know, he's one or two levels away. Maybe now this is this is Donald Trump Jr. and uh, and someone yeah. like a Jared Kushner. And, right. and and if we start to see Mueller move on them, then I think it's pretty clear the president is the ultimate target. Uh, Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut, as you said, there are many, many voices out there, but I thought Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut, he, he made the historic allusion that you just referred to as well. Here he is. President uh, has now stepped into the same territory that ultimately led to President Nixon resigning the office. President Nixon was an unindicted co-conspirator. Unindicted <laughs> when you think how Nixonian, right? Uh, Boy, this escalated quickly with just, you know, uh, I, no. what did we get last? Maybe 150 pages of documents 
yeah. on Friday. Right. This really accelerated. Um, you know, I think you can see it in the president's body language. Yeah. Um, even as oh. he left, and his <clears throat> as he left the White House on Saturday, and his language. tweets, absolutely his tweets. So, um. I ran into uh, our good friend David Korn from Mother Jones um, Saturday at MSNBC, and David made a good point, I thought, raised a good question, which is, okay, so we know from these latest filings uh, and Michael Cohen's testimony that Donald Trump knew everything about the payments to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal and, in fact, directed them. We also know, and lied about it, we also know that he was personally secretly involved in all the negotiations to build this new Trump Tower in Moscow. That's right. Uh, and lying about it. As, Donald, as David said, so if we know he knew all about that, are we really supposed to believe that he didn't know anything about the Trump Tower meeting That's right. on June 9 That's, to get dirt on Hillary? Come on. It, it is. And I, I try to keep my reporter hat on in moments like yes, this. Yes. But even doing that, even pulling it a little tighter... It is hard to believe. I mean, he is he's heavily involved in everything. I mean, Bill Shine is the communications director, for instance, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders is still the press secretary. By let's in be, name only. Let's be honest here. <laughs> Donald Trump is the White House communications director. He he decided to walk out on Saturday afternoon and announce that John Kelly was leaving. From what I've picked up, that was not the plan. He just decides to do things. Um, he's orchestrating everything. He he's the one who's managing the message and the policy. And it was that way with his business. You know, we, we've picked up enough yeah, over the years. Yeah. There's been a lot of reporting, a lot of great reporting up in New York. Our colleagues uh, with The Times and The Post and, and The New Yorker and the list goes on. Um, that he was heavily involved in everything in his business. So why would it be that this one this one or the I guess these two things he had no knowledge of? And remember, there's the tape. Cohen has a recording of the president, and they're discussing, uh, I believe it was the McDougal payment. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. so there's also the recording. Who knows what Mueller has? Maybe he has emails. Um, I don't know if the president texts. But Mueller has, Mueller has more on all of these issues than, than we can probably even imagine. And it, as, as we said earlier, it really feels like this is now turning toward the president. Mueller might not be ready you know, to, to issue his report or, or, or start naming individual one. But but yeah. this really feels like we're we're headed for something pretty big. Right. I mean, just the idea that in the middle of this campaign, when he's with all these contacts with Russia, that these Russian operatives reach out and say, we've got dirt on Hillary and Donald Trump Jr. says, great. And they come to New York and they meet in Trump Tower a floor below his office, and he doesn't know about it. Get out of here! And that was kind of a it was a down Get period here. for the campaign. Yeah, he wasn't out on the road all the time. Uh, it was they were getting ready, I believe, for the mm -hmm. convention. So that's usually a downtime. They were preparing for the convention. A lot of meetings. It's hard to believe someone didn't mention it to him. But also, we found out on Friday that Russians offered uh, two words that that were, I think we're going to hear a lot more about: political synergy. That was yeah, the offer that yeah. was made to Cohen right. through uh, through Russian contacts that that at least claimed they were close to the Kremlin. Now we're that that those things will have to be verified, and Mueller will have to explain those connections over in Moscow. So that's going to take that'll take a little more time. But political synergy and collusion, you know, th those those kind of mean the same thing. 
So you mentioned uh, John Kelly, um, the president announcing that John Kelly would be leaving by the end of the year after earlier telling us that he had promised to stay on until 2020 and Trump wanted him to stay on until 2020. Um, uh, I, I want to talk about the job of chief of staff, but as an insight to how difficult that job is, I want to start by playing a little quote. This is uh, former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson meeting with Bob Schieffer, talking with Bob Schieffer on Houston on over the weekend about what it was like to be working as Donald Trump's chief of staff, which certainly relates to what it would be like to be his, I mean, as Secretary of State, relates to what it would be like to be his chief of staff. He is a challenging individual. <laughs> it was challenging for me uh, coming from the disciplined, highly um, you know, process-oriented ExxonMobil Corporation where everybody sang from the same hymnal or you got kicked out of the choir. And <laughs> to go to work for a man who is pretty undisciplined, uh, doesn't, doesn't like to read, doesn't read briefing reports, doesn't, doesn't like to get into the details of a lot of things, but rather just kind of says, look, this is what I believe. And you can try to convince me otherwise, but most of the time you're not going to do that. Right. So he expresses that frustration. Imagine having the job of his chief of staff, right? Who wants the job? Obviously, we thought, he thought, Nick Ayers, Mike Pence's chief of staff, would want the job, yep. offered him the job. You and I, everybody around the White House thought that's that was a done deal. And Nick Ayers announced on Sunday, take this job and shove it. Just uh, just another remarkable development. Uh, I mean, I was mulling a story like, does this create tensions between Trump and, and Vice President Pence? He, you know, he, t- he took Pence's guy. Um, you know, uh, there's a Pence. And Pence's guy turned him down. <laughs> there's, there's, there, there's a Pence world outsider now in Trump world. What does that mean? You know, we're all on the mm-hmm. beat thinking this. And then, you know, Nick Ayers is out. Um who would want the job? You know, I we had some meetings. You know, they they tried to to build some rapport with Kelly and the press corps, um, and there were meetings kind of early in his tenure, and I would say medium way, maybe halfway through his tenure. Um, for various reasons, he stopped doing those. Um, some of those were the press's fault. It, it wasn't all on him. Uh, but um, that's a long way of saying, in those meetings, you could sense Kelly's frustration. He's not one to hold back even in an off-the-record, you know, just chit-chatty kind of thing. Um, and, and he told us, like, no one can manage this man. I'm not here to manage this man. His, Kelly's message became, I'm here to manage the flow of information in and out of the Oval Office. So he stopped very early trying to manage Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he stopped, you know, he would advise the president um, sometimes to cool it on the tweets, but he stopped saying, Mr. President... Could you lay off the tweets? Um, they were they were somewhat successful when you know uh, someone would would pass away or a world leader was visiting. Um, you might tone it down. For tone it. it down. And Kelly did bring some order. He needs to. He deserves some credit. Things, while they're still chaotic, and the White House hates when guys like me use that word. Things can still get chaotic, but it's nowhere near the level it was pre Kelly. Um, what this means after December 31st right. when, when General Kelly, I'm sure, is headed for defense industry boards and, <laughs> and things like that. When he goes off into private life 
And who would want this job? You know, we've heard Mark Meadows, conservative uh, Republican congressman from North Carolina. My colleague, Lindsey McPherson, who covers the House for Roll Call, he has told her repeatedly recently that he's not interested in the job. Um, you know, check rollcall.com today. She's going to be trying to, to chase him down. Um, other names that come up, uh, you know, there aren't that many. There's uh, David Bossy, who worked um, on the campaign. He comes up. Matt Whitaker, the acting attorney general. Apparently, uh, Trump has asked folks what they think about him. And there's really no one on the staff now that, that I see moving up. I mean, there's a John Bolton, but he oh, likes to swing elbows. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's kind of a rough and tumble. He's like that well, fourth line about hockey maybe player. Maybe Mick Mulvaney, too. Right. Mick Mulvaney is got, already got two jobs. That's right. Uh, you know, he's a high energy guy. Can 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 Mick Mulvaney slow down enough to do what Kelly was trying to do, which was was manage the information flow? And Kelly did put some processes in. You know, that's that's a big military thing. They're very disciplined with their processes and how they make decisions. Is Mick Mulvaney that same kind of influence? Could and could he keep some uh, at times? I think Kelly was was successful in keeping Trump's impulses. Almost manageable. I don't know if Mick Mulvaney could do that. You know, it's just Nick Ayers obviously looked at it and just realized this is an impossible job, you know, and I'm just going to be totally frustrated every day, uh, not have any private life whatsoever, and and, and I know what's got to be done, and I'll try to do it, and I will not succeed (laughs) given what the way Donald Trump operates. So uh, it just seems to me that anybody with any sense would have to look at that job and say, uh, just unless they just want the title and accept from the beginning that they're going to be, that Donald Trump is going to be his own chief of staff, just like he is his own communications director. I think you hit on something. You know, ambition will always drive people to 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 roll the dice, so to speak, on career decisions. And you know, maybe someone, maybe there's a lawmaker that 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 we haven't thought of that you know hasn't. Uh, hasn't been over to the White House for an interview yet. Maybe there's, you know, never going to make it to leadership, wants the title, do it for a year, and and has that on the resume. So uh, I must admit, I have not talked to David Bossie, whom I know, uh, in the last couple of weeks, right, specifically about this job. But I have talked to him recently about the fact that he has managed to stay outside of the White House and not get roped in. And he considers that to be his saving grace, and that he told me he has zero, zero interest or intent of ever going to work for this guy. There you go. I've been in that situation where I can be very great friends with a crazy man who, I won't name him in California, who Mm -hmm. tried to hire me on several occasions, and we remained good friends because I never went to work for him. And that's bossy feels about the way with Donald, his relationship with Donald Trump. At least that's what he has told me. Um, just about out of time, but I do want to ask you a big meeting tomorrow. You alluded to it earlier. Uh, this is the that um, was delayed last week because of the services for President Bush, where Donald Trump's going to sit down with uh, Speaker to be Nancy Pelosi and uh, Democratic Senate Majority, majority Leader uh, Minority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer. Chuck and Nancy. Chuck and Nancy. Right. And Donnie. What can we expect out of this? You know, they did make a deal once. On the debt ceiling, uh, to in front of Paul Ryan and 
Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump pulled the rug out from under the two Republican leaders and said, no, I'm going to side with Chuck and Nancy on this. There's a great shot. And I'm not sure how I don't remember the details, how the press got out in the Rose Garden um, photographers shooting in through the kind of the the, the long glass door. Yeah, yeah. And Mark Short, who was President Trump's uh, uh, liaison to Congress, is standing between uh, uh, Schumer and, and Trump. And he's got this. Uh, just frustrated, bewildered look on his face, and he's got the shaved head. He's got his hand kind of on his head, and it was just moments after the president had oh, had said, "No, yeah. we're going to go with we're going to go with what the Democrats want." Um, and and Short and others on the staff were just were just shocked he did it. I don't know this time around. Uh, is there one issue? Is this wall funding? Is that what? Yes. Yeah. This is going to come down to. Will the president bend? He wants $5 billion in a coming spending bill that's got to pass for the rest of the fiscal year to fund the Department of Homeland Security and a handful of other federal entities. Um, But the last sticking point, if you listen to Senate Appropriations Chairman uh, Richard Shelby and others who are involved, uh, the rest of the DHS bill is, is done. The other six bills that are a part of this are done. There is agreement on everything but the level of wall funding and maybe yeah. how to do it. Maybe they could get Trump to do it over two fiscal years to split yeah. it. And but um, so the Senate has approved 1.6. A House committee passed a bill with five billion dollars for 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 the border wall and some other things. Interestingly, maybe the wording of this is is how they they wiggle out of this in the next few weeks. Um, senior Democratic uh, Senate aide. Uh, reached out to me on Friday and and pointed out in my story. I said the Senate had approved you know 1.6 billion in wall funding, and he said oh, no, 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 John. It's for fencing. Yeah, yeah. So maybe they can they can strike a deal and they can hit the semantics and find There's a way a that lot they both of play win. On the words of fencing over wall, border right. security over right. wall. Yeah, right. They're going to so. have to find a way out of this by December 21st. But my read on on where the president is going to pivot after the Cohen and Manafort and everything that Mueller dumped last week, um, he's going to turn toward his base because he knows he can't get reelected without a big turnout from the base. He may have to, you know, he's going to have to win back some middle-class women, but he's got to have the base in big numbers. If he pivots hard toward the base, if he says it's $5 billion or or nothing or shut down, um, I'm not so sure they can convince him to sign another uh, short-term bill to keep those agencies open over the holidays uh, so if he pivots, if he if if my read is correct and he's pivoting toward his base on immigration, he's going to demand the five and we could have a partial shutdown over Christmas. All and right. New we'll see what happens tomorrow. And then uh, Wednesday, the sentencing hearing for Michael Cohen and uh, John Bennett. Good thing you shave. You may not have another chance to shave for the rest of the week. <laughs> it's going to be another one of those. Good weeks. to see you, man. Don't forget, it's Roll Call. RollCall.com. Andrew Prokop. From Vox joins us next year to talk about the politics of the moment here on The Bill Press Show. We'll be right back. Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And on this Monday, December 10, uh, The Bill Press Show, great to have you with us today as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers, the good men and women of the Iron Workers Union under President uh, Eric Dean. They are building our communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow 
if the Congress will ever, and the president, ever get their act together and pass infrastructure uh, legislation. Meanwhile, check out their website at ironworkers.org. Join me in welcoming to the studio Andrew Prokop, who is the senior political reporter for VoxVox.com. Andrew, good to see you. Good to see you, too. Happy holidays. Lots to talk about here today. Uh, but first, we've been... Uh, We've been here stirring things up for the last hour and a half uh, with some uh, comments from our viewers and listeners. Peter? Yes, indeed. First of all, I just want to point out we have a poll up right Uh now on our Twitter feed, at BP Show, at BP Show. Will Donald Trump spend time in jail as a result of the Mueller (laughs) investigation? You can vote yes, no, or undecided. I'll just let you know right now it's very, very close. That's all I'll tell you. But Uh you can go there. If you're following us on Twitter, at BP Show, you could get your vote in. But people have also commented on this, this as well. This is not wishful thinking, right? Do you want him to spend time in prison, but do you think he will? Do you think right. he will? Right. Do you okay. think he will? There's yes, a difference exactly. There's a big awesome. difference, especially yes. with our audience. Uh, Anthony says, this man has lived his whole life up to this point, getting away with all sorts of evil crap. Now he's doing it on a much larger scale as a result of his getting away with the crap. Uh, we, the people, are going to pay a healthy price for it. Uh, also, Gene says, unless Mike Pence is dragged down at the same time, he'll just get a pardon from the White Knight of Indiana. And Sean says, no, he's not going to serve jail time. In fact, he's not even going to be impeached over it. You can let your voice be heard. Just go vote right now on our poll at BP Show at BP Show. Uh, right. It is the big question is we after the stunning revelation uh, by the New York attorney's office on Friday that uh, in talking about how much time Michael Cohen should serve, they're recommending four years uh, because he didn't cooperate fully with them the way Michael Flynn apparently did with Robert Mueller. Uh, at the same time, they said that Michael Cohen's illegal activity in, in at least two cases, was organized, directed, ordered by uh, individual one, namely Donald Trump. So, uh, Andrew, uh, um, Charles Blow this morning in the New York Times kind of sums it up. I think his first paragraph, uh, let me get your comment, he writes, it is very possible, from what we heard, Friday, it is very possible that the president of the United States is a criminal. And it is very possible that his criminality aided and abetted his assumption of the presidency. Let that sink in. Last week, prosecutors made clear in a sentencing memo for Donald Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, that Trump himself had directed Cohen to break campaign finance laws. Let that sink in. It's pretty tough stuff. Yeah, and it's all basically right there in the sentencing memo. They say that what Cohen did was criminal in arranging the payments for Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels outside of campaign finance law, and they say that (laughs) Donald Trump told him to do it. So, you know, the big question is, of course, then what? Like, what's the next step from there? Um, You know, Cohen was charged not only with those offenses, but with all sorts of um, uh, tax and bank fraud uh, crimes from his involvement in the taxi business and going back several years. So, you know, he's going to end up getting a pretty hefty 
sentence, probably, uh, probably a couple years. But most of that is is from those financial crimes. Like those are the crimes that contain the big sentences and uh, the the campaign crimes, like not so much. So it, it's a question about, you know, it looks like the prosecutors in the Southern District of New York are now scrutinizing the Trump organization, which at the time was still headed by Donald Trump. And, you know, there is a potential question about bringing charges against Trump personally, probably after he leaves office. And another possibility is other executives could be charged or um, or the company itself, which I think is a really interesting possibility because that that would be, you know, a big a huge story. Uh, we already know that Mueller this year charged three Russian companies with involvement mm-hmm. in spreading mm-hmm. propaganda on Facebook. <laughs> so, you know, charging a company is a possibility and, and charging Trump's own name brand like run by his son's legacy company would would be a huge deal, I think. OK, so I, I had um I talked yesterday to a friend with a friend of mine who is a former member of the Federal Elections Commission, mm-hmm. whatever the whole the total FEC, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he said that these campaign violate campaign violations like this happen all the time. Mm-hmm. People are charged with them all the time, and usually the max is a fine. Yeah. So, are we making too much of a deal that Donald Trump is accused of committing two federal crimes, which aren't a big deal? I mean, it, if if there is evidence that he did direct Cohen to do this, he's breaking the law in two ways, and he's doing it specifically to help himself win the election, which I think is where the scandal is worse. Like, this isn't, I don't know, this this is two payments in the final months of the election, six-figure payments to hush up stories that he thinks would be bad for them. And I do think it's worth thinking back to what it would have been like in the days following the Access Hollywood tape in October 2016 if Stormy Daniels had come out. Like, it would have been a media sensation. Um, Trump and women were was a topic in the news already, and this would have kept it in the news, perhaps instead of Hillary Clinton's emails for a few more days. And, you know, the election was so close, just uh, less than a point in three different swing states that it could have changed the outcome. So so I do think the attention is appropriate. Like if you're cheating to try and win the election and the election's so close, like the consequences are big. Uh, so does that mean that we had an invalid election and have an illegitimate president? I mean, I guess people have to make up their minds on that for themselves. It's, I mean, when you combine that maybe, with maybe the Supreme Court would <laughs> the Supreme Court uh, make up their mind about it. Yeah, well, we'll see what they think, or, or <laughs> yeah. the Congress, with this court, but, or the Congress. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's impeachment is really the the remedy for this kind of thing, and you know, if enough, I I would tend to think that this is not. You know, I I wouldn't I, think that Republicans in the Senate would want to impeach him over the hush money payment him. unless Con- there's yeah convict him unless there's much worse you know uh, information that comes out. Congressman Jerry Nadler uh, spoke to this yesterday. He is uh, the incoming chair of the House Judiciary Committee, and he made a distinction which um, most of us might not think of between 
what's impeachable and what you impeach for. Here he is. <laughs> they would be impeachable offenses. Uh, whether they are important enough to justify an impeachment is a different question, but certainly they'd be impeachable offenses because even though they were committed before the president became president, uh, they were committed in, 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 in the service of fraudulently obtaining the office. And yeah. this is the so classic an impeachable offense, point. Right. But maybe it's not something we're going to impeach him for. I think that's a really important distinction, right? Yeah. Because I think yeah. Democrats have a leg to stand on to say, look, this is worthy of impeachment. This mm-hmm. is this rises to the level of what you need to impeach. But we also realize that if we were to go down that path, Donald Trump has so much cover from Republicans that it's, it's just not going to be a smart thing for us to do. I think we can safely say that Democrats would not impeach Donald Trump for this alone. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, now, if Robert Mueller, in addition to this, if Robert Mueller comes out with really damaging stuff on collusion, which he still could, even mm-hmm. though Donald Trump says there's no collusion five times a day, 20 times a day, uh, or on obstruction of justice, or on witness tampering or whatever, and you put all of that together plus this, then... They might say we got a whole package of impeachable offenses. We're going to hold impeachment hearing. Mm-hmm. But and, this, and, and I'd this add alone. other corruption with the Trump uh, business into uh, that yes, too. That's yes, the right. other big possibility. Sure. Um, but yeah, I do. I do think that's right. And what Gerald Ford said back in the '70s is that an impeachable offense is whatever the House of Representatives defines it to be at a given moment in history. Basically, there's there's no standard. You know, the Constitution says you do it for high crimes and misdemeanors, but there's no definition of what that is. And it really is up to Congress to determine that. And, you know, the norm in modern times is to set a pretty, well, you know, Bill Clinton (laughs) might disagree, but especially since then, the thinking has been that you set a high bar and that, um, you know, during the Bush administration, there were, of course, all sorts of. Uh, war on terror and Iraq war. Um, some Democrats did want to impeach yeah, yeah. Bush over that, and and Nancy Pelosi and and other Democratic leaders were like, we're not going down this road. We don't think it's smart for us politically. It was already you know 2007 by the time they won back the Congress, and they said let's just win in 2008 rather than you know going down this impeachment dead end. So, but I don't know if the same thing will happen now. There's so much of a anti-Trump sentiment among the Democratic base. And then the question is, what will Mueller find and how bad will it be? And if it is really bad, uh, I think I think impeachment really is a, a possibility for next year. Um, OK, let's just start with the assumption, not the assumption, but just all of us admit that none of us really know what Robert Mueller is up to, right? Mm-hmm. Or that he's got or what's next or anything. But it's certainly the number one parlor game in Washington, to mm-hmm. speculate. So I want to give you a chance. What What is your read, because you, you're really into this, on where Mueller is right now in the investigation? Is it wrapping up? Is it like just, just you know, getting, not, not getting started, but just getting, you know, up to a, a full head of steam? And, and where does he seem to be going with it? I think it's very clear from the recent filings that he's he's gotten closer from an investigation that started on about with charges from George Papadopoulos and Michael Flynn for lying to investigators about Russian conduct 
and uh, with Paul Manafort and Rick Gates for their Ukraine crimes, it seems to have been moving closer to Trump personally, Trump's business, uh, how Russia was involved with both of those in 2016, and and also the White House and what the White House did to obstruct the investigation. So it's That's really been a big part all along, but it's coming closer to Trump. Closing in on Trump. Yeah, I mean, that's my read as well. I don't know how you can deny that, that every filing seems to implicate more and more, both from the U.S. attorney and Robert Mueller, and they are connected. Mm-hmm. Mueller, more and more gets closer to the Oval Office. And, that- and the, the Cohen filing, uh, I thought, was really interesting on that front because Trump and his business and the Trump White House and Russia were just all over that filing. Um when they talked about what Cohen cooperated about, uh, even even what he lied about is, is of course, the Trump Tower Moscow effort. Uh, but then when they talk about what he cooperated about, there's a very interesting line that says that Cohen provided information on certain discrete Russia-related matters core to the investigation. So I read that as Mueller saying, you know, he is telling us some important stuff on, you know, the central questions of collusion mm-hmm. and Trump. Uh, certain discrete Russia-related matters core to the investigation. And then you have um, the other things that Cohen is said to have talked about. One of them is about his contacts with administration officials or people close to the White House. And that is also something that was in the Paul Manafort filing. That's something that Manafort is said to have lied about, his contacts with Trump administration officials. We don't know what specifically that's about but you know my read um, based on other reports that have been out there and and kind of informed speculation is that this this may be about Trump's pardon dangling um, mm. kind of uh, efforts over the past couple of years we we already know that um, John Dowd Trump's former lawyer um, hinted to Manafort's attorneys at one point uh, that a pardon could be on the table in the future. Well, now Donald Trump himself has said that. Yeah, now now Trump has said he's not taking it off the table. It's it's barely even subtext <laughs> anymore. And then there was a, a story that Cohen uh, came to believe briefly earlier this year that he would get a pardon from Trump uh, before ha- changing his mind on that for some reason. So... So I think that it's been confirmed already that Mueller's in investigating the this issue of pardons and whether Trump has been trying to obstruct the investigation and obstruct justice by offering or promising pardons to people. And I think that could look pretty ugly when the information uh, comes out there. And, and, you know, Manafort, we learn in this filing, told Mueller after cooperating uh, or pretending to cooperate that he had never had any contact with any Trump administration official while they were in office, which I don't know. It's it's very hard for me to believe, just given who Paul Manafort is, his history of influence peddling, that he yeah, just, yeah, you know, yeah, never no. call anyone uh, in the office of the president he just helped elect. And it turns out that... Um, Mueller has evidence, he says, showing otherwise that um, Manafort claimed to be in touch with a senior administration official as late as February 2018 and that he Mm -hmm. authorized an associate to send a message to the administration for him in May 2018. So what is all this about? We don't yet know, but 
You know, it, it might not look too good. All right. So if you were to believe anything that Rudy Giuliani says, which I think is a mistake to begin with, uh, the Robert Mueller investigation is about to wrap up and issue their final report. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he said they were going to be over like last Thanksgiving, not this year's Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving 2017. He's been wrong so far. Is do you have any sense that Mueller is uh, in the final stages of his work, or I don't. You know, it, that's the rumor going around. Uh, there was a report by Michael Iskoff from Yahoo News that was reading some tea leaves into that, saying that um, you know a congressional source said that um, a congressional source asked Mueller lately about. Um, kind of whether their Russia investigation would conflict with Mueller's and the oh. word basically came back, don't worry about that. Oh, so yeah. so that was being interpreted to mean we're almost done or it could just mean we talk <clears throat> to everyone we need to talk about. But there's a lot going on right now. There's a lot of redactions or, in these filings. Yeah, I mean, it could just mean that the House is holding hearings, the Senate is holding hearings, and Mueller is doing his investigation, which was the case, mm-hmm. has been the case, you know, for two years anyhow. So, yeah. I mean... That, that, that that's not a conflict. I mean, they can be looking at the very same things mm-hmm. from different different point of view. Um, one question I was talking to Michael Bennett or John Bennett about this too. Uh, get your take on it. Is that it, what we know from these filings? We know from the filings that Donald Trump was personally involved in the negotiations on the Moscow Trump Tower Hotel mm-hmm. uh, while lying about it publicly. His involvement. We also know from this filing on Friday that he personally directed the payments to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal while lying about them publicly. Question, if he knew in such detail about the payments, if he knew in such detail was involved in the building of the new tower in uh, in Moscow, are we? Do, can we really believe that he did not know about the June 9, 2016 meeting at Trump Tower that Donnie Jr. set up to get dirt on Hillary? I think it's pretty hard to believe. And I think that, um, you know, another um, uh, story recently that I think about in terms of that is this is a couple months ago and everyone's forgotten it at this point. But when Cohen brought out his tapes and he had a tape yes, of him the- going in to brag to Trump about the Karen McDougal payment to like tell him everything that he was doing and then Trump seemed to be totally in the loop on all of this. He he said 125, like the amount of the payment. Remember without we paid being the, played that tape, Peter, a couple of times. Yeah, it was. We have sort of forgotten about that tape. Yeah, and Donald and, Trump knew he didn't have to say how much. What yeah. payment are you talking about, <laughs> yeah. or how much, or anything? No, mm-hmm. he yeah. He he knew exactly what was going on, and I think that is the way. You know, people who have covered previous presidential scandals tend to have this theory that. You know, a lot of times in these political scandals, it's an aide who's kind of protecting the president and or the candidate in this case and and doing things but not telling uh, the candidate about it to give him um, some deniability. But I don't think that's how Trump world works. Like all of these people are seeking his favor. It's a very transactional um, environment. And if people are doing shady stuff involving Russia that's designed to help out Donald Trump, they would want Donald Trump to know about it because they think that he would give them credit for it and reward it. And this includes his son, of course, Don yeah. Jr. Uh, before we, uh, gosh, this morning has just flown by. Before we run out of time, so James Comey 
had an event at the 92nd Street Y in New York uh, mm-hmm. where he was interviewed over the weekend. He was interviewed by uh, Nicole Wallace. And Comey actually said this, that Democrats have to do everything they can to win in 2020. How important it is. Comey, quote, all of us should use every breath we have to make sure the lies stop on January 20, 2021. I mean, it sounds like Comey's running for president. (laughs) (laughs) But Comey Comey is out there saying not just the Republicans got to challenge Donald Trump, but some Democrats have to come up with their strongest candidate in order to beat Donald Trump in 20. That's certainly a new role for James Comey. Yeah, and and he seems to be, you know, obviously there's his own personal involvement in all of right. this and Trump attacking him as leaking lion James Comey and <laughs> all that. Uh, uh, but I think there's also the idea that Comey is just kind of disgusted at this at his behavior in general yeah. he's he's yeah. repulsed by it and uh, and now he's he's <laughs> he's not holding back uh at all well we'll see um you know what shoes drop this week certainly wednesday uh the sentencing for michael Cohn. we'll learn more andrew pokop from vox it's vox.com thanks andrew so much for coming in thanks for having me have a great monday folks and come back it's, and see us again tomorrow the bill press show